Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. In the first century AD, a certain Greek philosopher recorded a fictional story, I assume it was fictional, about a young slave girl who, while she was bathing, an eagle came and stole her sandal. That pretty much shows that it's probably fictional, right? And the eagle flew with her sandal and dropped it in the lap of the king of Egypt. The king of Egypt apparently was intrigued by this sandal. Something about the shape of the sandal implied that the girl had beautiful feet and the manner in which it was delivered to him. And so he sent his servants throughout his kingdom to find the girl whose foot belonged in this sandal. Of course, he did eventually find her and of course they got married and lived happily ever after. Sounds pretty familiar, right? This is generally accepted to be the first recorded version of the story that we now know of as Cinderella. And it has quite a bit in common, obviously. A slave girl loses a, a sandal, a shoe, and the king uses that sandal and shoe and finds her. But most importantly, she gets married to the king and lives happily ever after. That's the end of most stories, most fairy tales. The heroine marries the prince, becomes queen, and lives happily ever after. Or the hero defeats all evil and is crowned king, and then the whole nation lives happily ever after. We, however, know better. Most of us realize that marriage is just the first step, just the beginning. And afterwards, you have to live that life of marriage. You have to work at it. You have to live, make choices every day to make that marriage a good one. And similarly, when the good guy defeats the bad guy and becomes king, the coronation is really just the beginning. That, that new king now has to live that life of a king, making selfless choices instead of selfish choices and, and serving the, the nation over which he is king. These things are just the beginning a couple days ago, Thursday evening, we celebrated the ascension 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead, ascended on high, and sat down on the right hand of God. And we joyfully celebrated that coronation, Jesus becoming king. The scriptures foretold this. They speak about this in the psalm. Psalm 47, verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. That indeed was a joyful day when our hero, our Savior, became king. And Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus has conquered. He is victorious. And by faith in him, through baptism, being joined with him, we too have received the victory. If this were a fairy tale, it would be at this point that the Bible would end and say, and they all lived happily ever after. But of course, it's not a fairy tale, and the Bible does not end here. Rather, instead, we see in our text Jesus sending the disciples out. Jesus has conquered. The victory is theirs. But now, that's just the beginning. Now they have to go out and live, daily live, that life of disciples, that life of following Christ and spreading His Word. And it's going to be difficult. Jesus knows it's going to be difficult up to this point, the disciples have had a relatively easy time of it, you could say. Jesus was there with them. All they had to do was follow him and listen to him, follow him from, from city to city. Jesus himself tells us this in our text. He says, while I was here, I was there. I kept them. I protected them. But now I am leaving. And the world will hate them because it hated me. Now the disciples have that difficult task of living that life as Christians. And we too also, we also have been watching and celebrating and rejoicing in the, the resurrection of Christ and finally this last Thursday rejoicing in the, the victory of our Savior who was crowned King and rules everything. But we now have the difficult task of going forth and living as his disciples. Jesus is well aware of the, the struggle that we face in this life, the danger that we face, despite the fact that he's already won the victory because he prays in our text to the Father, Holy Father, keep them. Keep them through your name. And also, the world has hated them because it, he hated, because it hated me. He is well aware of that difficulty and therefore he prays to the Father on our behalf. This Sunday is a Sunday of transition, of moving from that glorious victory in Christ to that, that daily life. And this is why Psalm 1 is such a perfect psalm for this Sunday, for this week. Because our psalm of the week, Psalm 1, at the beginning of your bulletins, lays before us that daily life of a Christian. Those two paths, the way of sinner and the way of the righteous. Those two paths that are daily in front of us. That sitting, standing, walking it talks about in Psalm 1. That's that, that daily life of a Christian and that daily choice to follow Christ and turn away 
from this world. The victory is ours in Christ, but the happily ever after is not here yet. We remain in the world and we struggle. We have the victory, but we continue this daily living as Christians. Nevertheless, this struggle that, that is set before us, this daily living as Christians, in which some of us struggle even right now, is not something we need to be afraid of, is it? And Jesus reveals to us in our text two reasons why we don't need to be afraid, but can rejoice and go forth in that life. The first is because this daily life is not a burden, it's not a drudgery, but it is the fullness of Christ's joy in our life. And the second is because it is not accomplished by our strength or our decisions or our power, but rather by the power of the Father who keeps us in that way until the end. When <clears throat> two young people get married, or even if they're older, I guess they don't have to be young, they know that that wedding is only just the beginning. They know that there are days and days and days to follow, but they're not afraid of those days, are they? Hopefully not. If they are, they probably need to talk to the pastor a little bit. That's the whole reason they're getting married is because they, they want to live that life as a married couple. They want to continue in that, those marriage vows and they know, hopefully they know, what joy that married life can bring them. Jesus says the same thing about our, our life in Christ, doesn't he? He, sa he says in our text, John 17, verse 3, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This daily walk in Christ is not a drudgery, but the, the fullness of God's joy, the fulfillment of all God's promises in this life. That, that fullness of God's joy is, is going to reach its full potential in heaven, that's true, in God's salvation when we come before His throne, but it's, it's there, it's a part of our our life as we live in Christ even now. And again, Psalm 1 fits in perfectly here. It describes for us that, that fullness of joy when it describes that man, Psalm 1 verse 3, what shall he be like? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. There's no doubt that marriage takes effort. Uh, takes work. It can be difficult, and sometimes uh, in our marriages we can go through some very trying times, but it's effort that is well worth it. It's work that when you put the time in, brings forth that fruit of companionship, of joy, of fulfillment, as Christ meant marriage to be. It produces fruit. And so also the, our life as Christians, our life with Christ. There's no doubt that it can be difficult, it can be a struggle, it can be trying at times. 
but we have this promise from God that when we put in the time, it bears that fruit. You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that fullness of joy that Christ talks about. Yet this, this fruit, this fulfillment of joy, this bearing of fruit is not something that we produce, but something that the Father produces in us and through us. The victory is ours in Christ. The happily ever after is not here yet, but we have this promise in our text that God will keep us and strengthen us guarding us as a, as a precious stone. And in fact, that's exactly the picture that Peter uses when he talks about our Christian life, doesn't he? He says, you are precious stones to God. Diamonds. He doesn't leave us sitting uh, on the ground where we might be picked up by anybody, but he guards and, and keeps us in his love. This prayer that we have before us this morning, this, this prayer of Christ to the Father on our behalf, this isn't an iffy thing, is it? When Jesus prays to the Father, it's not, well, you know, Father, if you have some extra time, you might want to look in on, on these people whom I've sanctified, whom I bought with my blood. When Jesus prays to the Father, we know that that's a, as good as a promise from God. When Jesus prays, keep them by your strength, we know that the Father says, yes, I will keep them. And so he has, and so he will. And we go back to Psalm 1 again, and Psalm 1 reflects again. It's amazing how Psalm 1, even though it was written a thousand years before Christ's prayer in our text, reflects so perfectly the words and the thoughts of Christ himself. Because, of course, Christ was the author of both, wasn't he? The psalmist confesses this as well, that it is God who keeps us. And how does he keep us? Through his word. Psalm 1, he will meditate on his law day and night. It's through that word that, that the Father has promised to keep us. And as Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God keeps us and guards us secure in the faith, but he does it through that word. If you go to a graduation ceremony, and I suppose many of you might be attending graduation ceremonies coming up within the, the next month, if you go to a graduation ceremony, you're probably going to hear someone, and maybe more than one someone, giving the students last-minute advice. That's what graduations often talk about, or people often talk about at graduations. Do this, don't do that. Remember this, don't uh, remember that. These are the keys. This is the way to a successful life. But you notice that Jesus doesn't do that in our text. He knows that the life before us, he knows that daily living in Christ is going to be a struggle, but rather than giving us that last-minute list, do this, make sure you do, don't do that, here's the key to a successful life. Instead, he just ignores us and turns right to the Father and pleads with the Father, you, Holy Father, keep them by your strength, by your grace. It would almost be insulting, actually, if we didn't know how true it was that he doesn't even bother to tell us, do this or don't do that. He knows that in our sinfulness we are not going to 
walk in that path of righteousness. We're not going to maintain that Christian living. That in our sinfulness, we are going to wander off that path often. And so he just turns right to the Father. Holy Father, keep them by your grace. Notice how Jesus emphasizes in our text, Holy Father. The Father is holy. He is sanctified, right? And the Son, I have sanctified myself for their sakes. The Father and the Son are holy and sanctified, but we are not, not on our own. For their sakes, I, I sanctify myself. We are kept by the Father. We are sanctified through the Son. By His blood, our sins are forgiven. And because He died for that reason, and by the power of the Father, we are that tree of life planted by that river, producing that fruit going forth in that everyday life, that struggle of living to Christ. It's not going to be easy. It's not happily ever after yet. But it will be someday, soon. And in the meantime, we don't have to fear because we have that promise from the Father that he will keep us and that promise from the Son that he has sanctified himself for us, and by his blood we are holy. Amen.